Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This week's episode has a trigger warning for potentially upsetting subject matter. Check the show notes at www.bitchesoncomics.com to find out more. Welcome to Bitches on Comics, and I am one of seven ronin that have been hired by a village of farmers to combat bandits who will return after their harvest to steal their crops. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and I'm an extraterrestrial Kree warrior who finds myself caught in the middle of an intergalactic battle between my people, the Kree, and the evil Skrulls. Living on Earth in 1995, I keep having recurring memories of another life as U.S. Air Force pilot Carol Danvers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dang. Today we have a question from JLB on Twitter. What do you think of guilt, hatred, and revenge in Monstrous? Bum bum bum! Monstrous, that is the comic by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda, and uh, it's real good. Fuck! It was the first Eisner Award winner that was written by a woman ever. That's fucked up. Fucked up, but also, of course, it was... (laughs) Amazing! It was like, oh, yeah, plus Tom King, too, though. So they both won, and it's like, oh, okay. Anyway. Fine, Eisner, be like that. Uh, yeah, holy shit, monstrous. What the fuck? I love it. It's brilliant. I figure we'll talk about it generally, and then we can talk about the specific question from JLB. Thanks, JLB. You're the best. Yep. The colors, the art. There's one point where half of a character's face has been, like, burned off, and the coloring is so beautiful. And I'm like, oh, my God, I am looking at someone's insides, and I think it's pretty. Yeah, there was a tagline on this that was steampunk meets kaiju or something like that. And it's just like, yeah, I guess. But, like, there's a lot more going on <laughs> than and that. Like in a very technical sense. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but there's so much body horror, right? Like, that's a huge, huge part of this book that I think— it would be a mistake to dismiss. Of course, there is a lot usually in steampunk stories as well. That's a merging that is always good. But also, I think it's very interesting the way that they show these complicated relationships people have with their bodies. And then there's Mm. always, you know, a lot of the characters, something horrific and traumatic happened. For instance, half of their face getting burned off. Or, you know, like, missing arm being, like, you know, something that's happening with, like, the main character. Missing arm is replaced by (laughs) something else, like a kaiju, basically. But there's a lot to it. It talks a lot about what I feel like is not just your relationship with the body that you have, but how bodies change and Mm. how disability can affect that, obviously. But... There's just a lot to it. I felt like every character has this kind of 
magical relationship with their body, right? Like even characters who, you know, aren't missing a limb or something like that, there's still something to it. They've all gone through something that's either scarred them or they have something secret and magical that's like hidden within their body. (laughs) Like, Mm. you know, a lot of very interesting things whenever it comes just to like what your relationship with your body is, I think, and monstrous. I think, too, there's there's a real contending with the idea that bodies carry memory, right? We talk a lot about generational trauma and or generational healing. And I think this this narrative really is trying to grapple with that. I think that really lends itself to what you were saying about body horror. There's sort of a sense of like by not grappling with the traumatic events of one's life, by not grappling with the traumatic events of their family's life or, you know, in the case of, of uh, Meka, you end up recapitulating that harm against yourself. You know, and it's like, whoa, what the fuck? You told me that was like a kaiju body double <laughs> fucking story. Like, wow. I feel like this is one of those stories that's like a really good stew. They just kept adding elements until the right amount. And then they like sprinkled a little like mysticism over the top. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're like, like as if it were salt. And we're like, Mwah, done. This is the comic. And it works. It, it just... There's so much at play, but it makes perfect sense. Even the way I was reading issue maybe 20 and there was a new piece of information that came up about the main character that came up really organically. She was talking to someone else. They both as children went to the same school that was like a human school. They're both Arcanics. We'll get into what that all means. Then like two issues later, she comes face to face with her teacher from that school. And there's there's no exposition because we already know about it. So it's so carefully plotted. I think it's incredible. I think it's one of the the masterworks of comics. Yeah. I mean, the world building is out of control. That's oh. kind of the thing, right? Is is that people walk into this comic a lot and they go, Oh, confusing, done, you know, or something. And it's just like, would you do that with like Lord of the Rings though, you know? Would you do that with Sandman? <laughs> yeah, they don't explain every step of the way in those stories either, but it's just canon for you at this point. So Monstrous takes a couple of reads for it to become canon, but that's great because that means that the reread value is way up. So oh, yeah. I read it one time and I was a little confused by some parts, like there were you know, story elements that I completely missed. And then I read it again and it starts to flesh out a little bit into this other realm that I like didn't know about yet. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's a good thing. (laughs) Having this kind of complicated world that I don't intrinsically understand, I think is a good thing. And that's obviously part of what the creators were going for here. So yeah, I don't know. I've I've definitely had people be like, oh, it's a little like baffling or something like that. I couldn't follow it or something. And it's like, well, give it another try because things that are good, you have to return to sometimes for it to fully click. Yeah, totally, totally, Sarah. And I also feel intrigued by things that baffle me. Yeah. Like totally. when I'm a little overwhelmed by monstrous, I'm like, okay, why? I'll flip back. I'll go back over Hell the yes, last me too. few pages or something and be like, all right, okay, I'm following this. I get it. I think there's five issues per volume, five volumes right now. Um, more to come in 2021, which is like so exciting. But at the end of each volume, or maybe it's the end of each issue, I can't remember. There's usually like a lecture from the esteemed Professor Tam Tam, who's like oh a very God. beautiful cat. Oh, just talking to a bunch of little kittens. Oh, I didn't love it. Cats in this comic. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. I 
they're like parachuting to go kill people. And I, I just can't that. help but like squeal because they look so cute in their parachutes. <laughs> Ugh. And they're scary as fuck. The cats yeah. are really terrifying too. You know, it's both and. Yeah. I mean, that's real life. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say yes. And also it takes like a deft hand to have a character or to have a species that has a sort of duplicity to it without making mm-hmm. stereotypes of people, right? Because I think oh, yeah. so much of what I dislike in science fiction and fantasy is like the old TOS shit of like, the Klingons are bad and warlike. And you're just like, oh, come on. They're just people. Right, right. Like, right. You, can't, you can't say things like this. You can't say that like nothing matters to them but honor. Like they're people. Right. They have all the complexity I have. They just are in a different culture. And you know what? Worf was genuinely one of the most complicated emotional beings on Ugh. the Enterprise. But you know Absolutely. what? Absolutely. That's fine. People can do whatever. In this, like, there's totally that scene, right, where she's just like, well, all the cats are liars and thieves. And he's just like, aha, the bigotry of fools. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. That was pretty funny. I think it's it's nice that people are are complicated regardless of what their species is in this series and uh-huh. and everybody's capable of duplicity. Humans are just as duplicitous as cats, but the way they talk about each other, right? It's like, uh-huh. oh, don't trust them. Oh, don't trust them, you know? And that kind of leads into the question, right, which is how does things like memory and revenge and things like that work into this story and like what do we think about it? Now, I would say that this is one of the most complicated views on revenge that Mm. I've ever seen. And it's very interesting because it does talk about this character barely has her memories, right? Like her memories are untrustworthy sometimes, but mostly just kind of not there because how much she's gone through has had a toll. Like everything takes a toll. And there's this whole thing of hunger and like feeding and like that means that sometimes there are absences in ourselves because we gave them up to something else, right? So all of that is very complicated and the way that it kind of materializes in the main story is fascinating because you have a character whose first acts in this story are blatant, angry, cruel revenge. And murder of children. (laughs) And murder of children. But how much is their responsibility? You know, like, where is the person in control and where does that control end? Also, the people who you take vengeance on don't disappear. (laughs) Like, they're still around. And you maybe don't know 100% who you should actually be striking out against because you are striking out at the clear person who you think is to blame for all of your problems. And more often than not, it's a bigger web of complicity that leads to our problems, right? So that's such a good way of putting it. She has to deal with all of this complexity as it comes up because in the beginning, it's a very simple, I'm going here, I'm going to kill these people, I'm going to take my revenge, I'm going to leave. And again and again, you see her try to cast off any kind of emotional complexity. Like she tries to turn her back on it all of the time. And she can't because that's not how it works in life. So (laughs) it's very interesting to watch the grappling of it. And then it's also very interesting just to watch how everybody has their own motives and how to many people, she's a monster, you know, Mm. like monstrous, monstrous, like the Mm -hmm. kind of pun title that we have is 
100% all about perception, right? And that's kind of why all of this stuff gets so complicated. Like, we can never have these simple stories of vengeance because it's not simple. It's never been simple. Like, that's not a simple concept. Like, who do you take vengeance on? Like, I've had a bunch of bad things happen in my life. Who do I take vengeance on? I mean, like, how would it help, you know? Like, <laughs> what what person would be considered the most responsible, you know, mm. and things like that. So it's like you can't almost fully grapple with vengeance without having this greater complexity around it. And that's kind of why this is such a compelling story is because we're used to the world of fantasy, science fiction, superhero comics, all of that just kind of telling us that things are a lot more black and white than they actually mm. are. That is, oh, Sarah, you give me chills. You give me chills. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, fuck yeah. That's part of what I was thinking about too. And, and JLB, the lovely person who sent us a question, that was part of what they got into too. They were like, so... You know, we're used to the way men write about guilt, hatred, and revenge. We're used to, like, this dominant narrative of how that works. And this is so complicated compared to that. And what's so cool, I think, and this is, like, for me, some of the best stuff that fantasy and and sci-fi can do, which is, like, there is this external journey she's on that really is just an external manifestation of her internal journey towards understanding herself. I think we have to, like, by nature of the question, we, we decided... We needed to read all of what's been published as of, you know, 2020, the end of 2020. So we are going to get into spoilers. Before we do that, I just want to say if you haven't read Monstrous, please pick it up. They're very affordable volumes on Comixology. You could probably also get them from your comic book store. Just find them. They're worth it. You can also get it probably from your library. You'll probably be able to get the trade paperback. So read this story. It's so incredible. It's basically the story of a young woman named Micah and how she finds herself looking for revenge on a person who hurt her mother, hurt her, has some sort of nebulous involvement in her backstory where she knows this person is the person who has to pay. She goes to the person who has to pay and discovers, as Sarah was mentioning, everything's much bigger than she thinks it is. She breaks out of a prison and then she sets off on this giant journey. Along the way, she sort of meets her compatriots who are a beautiful young Arcanic. So uh, it's worth noting Micah is an Arcanic. Arcanics are demigods in a sense. They have the ancients' power and magic, but they're also the descendants of humans and ancients. Ancients are these, they're anthropomorphic characters who are like fox humans and wolf humans and tiger humans, but they're not human. They're like these ancients. They're super powerful. Then their kids are similar. They might look more human. Like one of the main characters is named Kippa and she looks just like a young girl. And then she has fox ears and a a fox tail. She's cute. She's so cute. It's unbearable. It's just like, oh my God. And then her friend Ren, who's one of the cat people, they're cat-sized. They're not anthropomorphized. They're just like cats that have more tails the longer they're alive. And then there's humans. And the humans have a subgroup called the Cumaeans, who are witches. And they, this is super fun, they grind up the bones of the organics to make their magic. Yes, it is fucked up. And that's why it's so powerful. Okay. Now you've been warned that we're going to get into spoiler territory. If you haven't read it, maybe pause, write down how far we are in the episode and come back after you've read it. If you have read it, buckle up. Let's get into it. So I think that it is really important to see the way that even innocent characters like Kippa end up doing horrific things from a good place. That's a really important part of guilt, right? And about Uh revenge. Like who's Kippa going to get revenge on? Herself? 
(laughs) (laughs) Her friends. There's no clear answer to that, right? Yeah. And I think that's like you were saying, that's part of what makes this such an incredible work of fiction is there isn't a black and white. There aren't easy answers. Mika feels guilty because she should feel guilty. She's eaten people and not just humans who are trying to kill her, which it feels a little bit more justified, but like babies who are trying to escape with her. Other arcanics, people who are being held in a prison. Like, and like you were saying, Sarah, it's because she has this hunger. And at one point she gets to meet her dad who like her is marked descendant of the shaman empress. God, this fucking world is so like intricate. It's so exciting. I was like shocked that I remembered the term shaman empress. And then I was like, oh, yes, I do like this book. <laughs> and so, like, you know, then she hears her dad and her dad's like, I carried the monster for what is it, like hundreds of years? And and I know things about it you don't know. And Mika is like, I'm not going to kill people. And he's like, well, well yes, you are. <laughs> like, you can either like choose to do it or you can wait till the hunger takes you over and then you'll kill your friends or the monster will eat you. And she's like, ah, fuck like ah and when she starts out like she wants to die right because she part of the guilt part of the hatred part of the revenge she does want is against herself right right yeah like she knows that she's part of why her mom died and she wants that revenge on herself for it and she starts in this place of really truly being suicidal I, I don't think there's another way to put it and towards the end of the arc after all these horrific things she does and her father tells her she's gonna have to kill there's this moment where she's bawling her eyes out and she's talking to a very sexy like crow man who is mm, very hot and she's like I want to live and that means people have to die and what does that make me am I the monster or is the monster inside me whose name is Zin the monster or are we both the monster and you're just like fuck I don't know I don't know I don't know how to answer that question for you protagonist <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, what we're so used to something like Wolverine kills a bunch of people and everybody's like, well, they were like these people, you know, like it was just like a bunch of faceless people. And then in this, it's just like even the least fleshed out characters who end up dying, it matters. Like it still matters. And a lot of times they don't die. Like they just end up being scarred for life or something. And I mean, that's like a lot more true to something like war, right? All of the people who are vets don't just vanish when the war is over, even though that's pretty much the narrative that a lot of our country has embraced. It's just not true. You know, you end up with people who are shell-shocked, people who, like, have serious injuries, people whose lives are changed forever. And, yeah, maybe they did terrible things. But is it right that this happened? And then, like, who's accountable for the war? Like, you know, what person would you ever hold accountable for an entire war? So I think that there is just so much complexity on the page with this. That's what I run into again and again is like, there's no way that they're going to give us an easy answer. We're not going to get like Wolverine, it's okay what you did because you had your heart in the right place or like Or because they were like aim drones and it's okay to kill them. Yeah. There's no point where anyone gets killed that you're like, yeah, in this yeah. in this narrative. It's just like, oh, fuck again. Yeah. Like, no, not them. It's something that's painful. It's going to scar you. They might even live through it somehow because there's people mm-hmm. who live through some really messed up stuff in this comic and in life. But it won't be the same again, you know? Like, you are making decisions that are having these jarring long-term effects on people's lives. and. That's something that I just don't think we get in, like, 
Captain America punches a Nazi or something like that. There's so much more to that story, right? Like, hell yeah, punch that Nazi, you know, any day of the week. But it's like when that's the only narrative that we have around war, revenge, all of these kind of concepts that are just much more complicated than that, then I think that it just gets really simplified because there's Mm. just so much more to it. In this comic, there are people who are bad, but also you have to accept the fact that our hero is bad. (laughs) Like she does really messed up things and it's not something that's easy for her to live with. What it reminds me of a little bit is the movie Lady Snowblood and Mm. more so Lady Snowblood Love Song of Vengeance, which is the sequel to that. Those movies are really interesting because very similarly to this character is kind of this weapon of revenge, right? And then she has to be like, well, what is life outside of that, right? Now, obviously, those movies go in a very different direction. It's not like this lush fantasy environment, really. It's kind of just more of a straightforward story like that you would see in a movie. But in this comic, I think that a lot of the moral complexity around it kind of reminds me of some things that were brought up in those movies because it's definitely very different than like a cowboy story or something where it's just like, I just go in and I save the person and I have my heroic arc. It's like, this isn't a heroic arc. <laughs> like, right. this is ugly. Like, it's bad, you know? Like, there's a bunch of terrible stuff that happens. I love these characters. I think that they're all great and compelling. But yeah, are they good people? I mean, do good people exist? That's like the kind of thing that I would ask myself after reading Monstrous, you know? Because it's like, they talk about how hunger dictates so many of her actions. And like, I was raised as a kid who didn't have food sometimes, often. And I always think about the role that hunger plays in your life when you go through it that much as a kid, you know? And like, how angry it makes you to be hungry. And how weak, right? Oh, it God. Makes you yeah. so weak. And so then you have this deep empathy for like where Micah is. She's so weak and so angry and so susceptible to the hunger. So like by denying it, it becomes stronger, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's so such a like salient point, right? Mm. It denies that heroic arc from issue one. It sets you up to think she's a hero, right? We meet her. She's in a jail. She's helping people get out of the jail. It's clear that like babies are being harvested for their power. And you, you don't quite understand the whole Kumea human thing yet. And then like they get out and she helps them and you're like, oh, she's a hero. And then I think it's like a page turn and it's Kippa like standing over her like, miss, 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 like stop. And then she looks down and she's eaten one of the children she was helping escape, you know, and you're like, oh, right. This is not a hero story. (laughs) This is a story about like how fucking bad life can be. And I think that's what it does so well. I think it explores the ravages of war. I think it explores human duplicity. I mean, the fact that Ren betrays her, her cat companion, time and time again, like that's really moving. And then you sort of get to see things from his side and why he did it and like who he wants to be now. And also he's like a very cute tabby. I just love him, you know? And oh my God. And we haven't even mentioned, like the whole thing is so queer. It's like so queer. Like everyone's dating, like so whoever. Queer. And <laughs> like, 
gender is, like, not important. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, complicated queer where I'm just, like, I kind of don't like you two. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, you you're know, about the wives. But you're also super hot and, like, all kinds of conflicting <laughs> feelings around this. Yeah, we didn't talk about it yet because it's kind of so expertly done. It's so yep. part of the story and it's not really commented on. And I think that that's the new world, I hope, for queer stories is like it doesn't have to be this whole, well, I let's talk about my coming out story. It's yes, like at exactly. some point you have to be like, well, it doesn't matter because she's a terrible villain. So like, it doesn't because I mean, that was kind of my thing, too. Like I've seen that a bunch lately where people are just like evil lesbian tropes are bad. And I'm like, oh, are they? Thank you for letting me know. Um, But also like... <laughs> Evil lesbians and evil gays are totally part of our legacy. That's part of our history. Mrs. Danvers doesn't stop existing just because you canceled Daphne du Maurier or whatever. (laughs) Like, this doesn't go away, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that it's awesome to have queer villains. It's just also awesome to have queer heroes and, like, to have a lot of different portrayals. So I think, like, there's been things lately where people are just like, oh, you know, like evil lesbian trope rearing its ugly head again and I'm just like but it's not that here and most often it's not because we've changed evil lesbian trope is a totally different thing now it has different meanings it has different connotations like I grew up in a world where all lesbians were evil (laughs) in movies Mm -hmm. and now it's not like that You have seen many other stories. So to me, I'm just like, I mean, I'm fine with it, you know? Like, I'm fine to have these queer characters that are complicated, kind of unsettling sometimes, and then also uh, hot, (laughs) like, at the same time. Yeah. That's great. To me, that's as good as we can hope for, right? Just to have these kind of nuanced takes. Yeah, I completely agree. It feels like the queerness is so part of the substance the comic is made of. So you just don't even, you're right. Like That's why we hadn't commented on it because it was just like, doy. And it is complicated. And we see, you know, people who are in queer couplings do horrible things. And we see people who are in, you know, more traditional hetero couplings who do arguably much worse things. You know? <laughs> like People are not good. And I, I love that you were saying, like, it makes you ask, are people good? And I think the answer monstrous provides is people are capable of great good and great evil. And sometimes they're capable of doing it at the same exact (laughs) time. Yeah. I mean, that's Kippa's mistake. Kippa's mistake is done out of love, out of care, out of trying to help people. And it fucks everyone, everyone in Ravina. And she can't excuse herself, right? She's bawling and she goes to make it and she's like, miss, miss, I did something terrible. I have done something horrible and I can't fix it and I don't know how to fix it. And when she's fighting, she's saying, let me fix it. Let me fix it. I just want to fix it, you know? And it's like, little baby, you can't fix it. And she knows that. Like part of her knows that and that's part of the desperation there. And I think that that's so clear with this character who's presented so innocently in, in the first 20 issues and to then to let her do something awful and deal with the consequences of it and not be able to fix it. Because normally that character is there to be the counterbalance to the jaded hero, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that character exists because we have the young, innocent character who is supposed to embody that character before all of these terrible things happened to them that made them so jaded. And then it's just like... Yeah, that's not really how it plays out here. And uh, 
I mean, the story is all the better for it and all Mm -hmm. the more complicated for it because also who's a good person during war, you know, like that's something that's like, I just think that the realism of ethics and morality is something that we just never see in comics, you know, there's things where we dive in a little bit on characters, but not to this level where it's just genuinely asking these questions of like, say you're born in a place where all you know is war. And you're starving to death and everyone you've ever cared about is dying around you. Like, how do you be a good person in that situation? Well, I think the other really cool thing about those Tam Tam lectures at the end is they show some of the propaganda. They show the way that humans are trained to think of cats as evil. And I can't remember exactly what they call them, but they call the Arcanics demons. And there's this point where, you know, Micah's standing on a wall and she's looking at one of the, the kaiju, the old gods, as they call them. And she's like, I can't believe we're so busy fighting with each other when there's a real war to be fought. There's a real enemy that we need to fight. And it, it feels so much like, you know, and maybe this is just because of what you and I were talking about before we started recording, but it feels so much like there's all these people who have all this interest in common who can't work together. And it feels like a bit like the problem with the left where we can't come together because we're so busy disagreeing. And, and do we have valid disagreements? Sure. But when you think about fascism versus like nuance, that should be a unifying factor. And yet it's not. And I think that it's incredible to use a completely different world, a completely different set of characters from vastly different species, vastly different ways of looking at the world to interrogate that same idea. It is frankly breathtaking. I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about Monstrous and I I can't wait to go back and start it over, you know? Oh, same. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I would say that our conclusion is essentially that we think it's complicated and amazing (laughs) to think about the implications of vengeance in this story and Mm -hmm. how it defines everything and how it also burns everything, right? Like, Mm. that's kind of how it is with revenge. Mm. That's why a lot of people say forgiveness isn't for them, it's for you, you know, because otherwise you just have something burning its way through your heart for the rest of your life, right? Like, that's kind yeah. of the deal. You know, we haven't really talked about Zinn, and I think he's he's a great example of this. And I've just been thinking a lot about how, let me just be personal, we remember, I remember things a certain way because, you know, I'm the consumer of what happened. And of course, I'm going to remember it more favorably toward me, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, and that's what Zen does. But then as those false memories, those false assumptions are stripped away, he, he has to face decisions he made. And I think that's really what's going to come in the next couple of arcs in the comic is more about Zen and about him really coming to face what he did. Because we know he betrayed his lover, the Shaman Empress. We also know that he's like betrayed Micah's family somewhere along the line. You know, we're not clear what that is yet. And so I think this question is also unfolding in the series. And when it's complete, which I, you know, part of me never wants to happen and part of me can't wait for, we will have a very different way of thinking about vengeance, guilt, hatred, revenge. But yeah, I think you summarized it perfectly, Sarah. It's it's complicated. And that's that seems to be what the sort of answer is to any of the questions you can ask. Like, what's life about? It's complicated. Like, who's a good guy? Well, it's complicated. (laughs) Like, what's good queer representation? Well, it's complicated. (laughs) Yeah, this story is still going, and it's been the same creative team the whole time, which has been just a delight. Like, I can't imagine if there had been another artist on this book. I think it really comes together the way that it is just so perfectly. 
But also, yeah, it's not done yet. And whenever it finishes, I do think we're going to have a different way of looking at it. Because that was our thing, right? We wanted to record this, but then we were like, we have to read all of it (laughs) because it starts in a place and then it goes a lot of other places. And yeah, it it doesn't look like it's done yet. So I am looking forward to it. JLB, thank you for a wonderful question. Thank you for uh, making it so we could talk about Monstrous. We both really love this comic, and it is always an incredible opportunity to talk about a creative team like Lou and, and Takeda. They are yeah. they are remarkable. They have done remarkable work here, and like you said, Sarah, it feels like it is as much the art as it is the story, and that is true in many, many, many comics. I don't mean to say that it isn't, but it feels all the more true in, in this specific instance. Absolutely, yeah. All right, thanks, y'all. Hey, Sarah, so we're doing things a little bit differently over on our Patreon, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So on our Patreon, we used to have all the tiers and all the things, you know, because that's what you do in Patreon. You have a higher tier and you say, give me more of your money and you can have this. Give me more of your money and you can have this. And you know what? We don't like it. Screw it. Forget it. We decided that we don't like it. We're flattening all of our tiers. Well, we're still going to have the tiers because it can help you brainstorm how much you want to give. But everybody at every tier is going to get access to everything we post on Patreon. You can join us for as little as $2 a month. And it makes a difference. Every person who supports our Patreon helps us pay our sound engineer and make sure the podcast can keep going ad infinitum, which is, you know, my goal is that when infinity ends, the podcast will continue. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
comic of the week this week is The Book of Sarah by Sarah Lightman. Sarah with an H. <laughs> yes, don't confuse us. We're different people. Um, <laughs> so many people send me emails with my name with an H. Literally, I think the editor that I've worked with the most sent me a S-A-R-A-H email the other day. And I was like, come on. I've known you for two years. Come on, Matt. But hey, that has nothing to do with this comic. <laughs> this book. Yeah. It's autobiographical. It's like a journal slash comic. Slash history. Because she's talking about her whole life. She's talking right. from back in the beginning. She is going through her old art journals, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of saying, this is where I was at whenever I was at this place. This comic is beautiful. Oh my God, Right. It includes all of this stuff that you would not normally see. Like she includes a lot of her early sketches and stuff like that. This is stuff that people go out of their way to keep out of their books. Right, <laughs> so. right. Like never ever will I print. Yeah. But this is the point of the comic is, is through the entire time. She's just like, I wish I could have talked to younger me and said, you're going to be a great artist someday. And that's a thread that comes up again and again and again throughout the comic. So this is her way of telling her past self that she loves all of her mistakes and that mm. she's going to make it at the very end. And that all of it's good, you know, even the stuff that to her is, oh, this is my rudimentary early stuff. Even that is enough and good enough to put into a book if it's a book that's showing what your progress is through life, you know. So this was, I mean, this is one of the most self-accepting books I've ever read in my entire fucking life. Like this is gorgeous stuff whenever it comes to, you know, if you're feeling a little negative about yourself, which I mean, honestly, all of the time these days, it's really <laughs> easy for us to feel extremely bad about ourselves. But this is the opposite of that. This is kind of saying, here's all of the time that I was so upset about all of these minor small details. And I was so upset I wasn't good enough. And I thought I'd never be good enough. And here I am putting those moments into a book that tells the greater story of me. And I mean, it's beautiful. <laughs> this comic is gorgeous. I can't stop thinking about the drawings of hands. Yeah. They were haunting and just, I can close my eyes and picture them. And, you know, I read a fuck ton of comics, so it's kind of impressive that I can remember any of them sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> this work was so powerful. And, you know, it's a lot about depression and anxiety and, and learning to live with mental illness and how to how to be an artist and what you do when you have to balance all these different pieces of being alive. And it's also a lot about being Jewish. And I didn't expect her to bring so many different elements together into such a cohesive narrative. That's what makes it so, so good. But it's a really mm -hmm. incredible memoir. And she's so intimate. That's the word I was going to say. It is such an intimate experience because we are just invited into, like you were saying, her old journals, her experiences at the time. You know, she takes us through her different religious traditions. She takes us through everything. It's like cracking this person's life open, but like it's so perfectly curated that it feels like it's not curated at all. And that is like, yeah. ooh, you got to have a lot of skill to nail that, you know? Right. It's like she's inviting us in. And so it's really just profound in and of itself. There's nothing really like this book. I also think that it is important that she talks about feeling alienated from her culture at times mm -hmm. because she's talking about being Jewish and saying there's certain parts of this that I can't fit into. And, you know, there's certain groups of people who are also are Jewish 
that I think are so cool and I wish I could fit in with more. But she finds herself as a person not always able to adhere to every detail of that. And that's something that causes her stress and anxiety. But again, it comes into being the more complete picture of who she is and how she has this complete forgiveness of herself, it seems like, by the end of it. It's like a struggle, but it's all leading to this beautiful self-acceptance and self-acceptance on such a level that she's inviting you to come in to experience with her. And I mean, it's a mind-blowing journey because she's talking about very typical, sometimes mundane details. She's talking about, I was at this place at this time. I was crashing on this guy's couch. Here's my feelings about the relationship that you can tell in the art. I don't have journals of this time, but you can look and see what I was experiencing and kind of being a little detached from it at certain points and saying, well, this is what I see now, you know, that I was feeling then. And I just can't imagine there being a more beautiful tribute to one's own life. Like, I think Mm. that there's so much beauty in this and just so much love that it allows you to go along this journey. It's like my part of this journey is me reading a comic for 45 minutes or an hour or something (laughs) like that. And I got so much from it. I felt like I had been there at points at least, you know, there was a lot of sharing in this that is very unconditional. And I think that that level of openness is just so rare, even among artists. Absolutely. I love that it, the version that we read is like a hard copy and it has like the ribbon so you can keep your pages. I love that. It's beautiful. It's such a clever way too of doing something that's so journal-like, right? Because journals Mm -hmm. come with those. And so it very much evoked that feeling. And oh my God, it's so vulnerable. Like to be invited into someone's real, like their their crises of what defines her. Like this is everything that made Sarah who she is, you know, in this book, the book of Sarah, which is like brilliantly named. It's just really powerful. It's also deeply feminist, right? Like both because it's about the value of women's lives, like all the pieces of her life are valuable. And we don't get a lot of narratives that do that in this culture, at least historically, we have not. And we've got more and the ones that did exist got destroyed and blah, blah, blah. And women have always existed, blah, blah, blah. But you know what I mean? And it's really powerful to have this just deeply vulnerable portrayal. And also, you know, I think I remember there's a part where she talks about how there there aren't many books in the Jewish tradition that are from perspective of women. And so that's part of why it's the book of Sarah, right? For like the book of Ruth. Like she is claiming a space for herself within her version of Judaism is going to work for her as a person. I mean, I love religious narratives. I think they're so powerful, especially as a non-religious person. I find it really interesting to see someone call their faith to account and say like, this does not work for me, these parts, but I'm not going to let it be taken from me. I'm going to claim part of it or to say like, this doesn't work for me wholesale and I'm going to reject it. And so it's just fascinating to see how she grapples with her faith, how she grapples with her art, how she grapples with her mental wellness, how she grapples with her relationships. And it's like, it's messy, but it's the most beautifully curated form of messy, right? Like it's so intentional. Every word on every page, every panel, you know, was painstakingly chosen, placed there. And it has such a powerful overall impact as a work. You know, I really do think about it a lot. I think about this book a lot. And I read it a couple of months ago. You know, for me, I just can't stop thinking about what a great book this is. Well, I think too, because there's so much obsession with being the best that you are all of the time in our culture Mm. that makes it 
very difficult to find people who will even have works like this. And I want to make sure that I'm being clear that her early work is beautiful. Like there's no part of this that I would think was not worth it, you know, but for her, it's, this is the stuff I did whenever I was like 10 years old. This is, you know, bullshit. But for me, I don't own any of my stuff. Like I don't keep a hold of things. I get rid of old things. I won't read an old zine that I wrote because I will cringe and hate it and just not be able to face that that was a part of my journey. And I think that that's to my detriment a lot. And so I think Mm -hmm. that watching somebody be like, this is all of my flaws. Here they are. You know, like here's the time whenever I was shaky. Here's the time that I was pregnant and trying to work on art at the same time. Here's the, you know, things that I love about being Jewish. And here's the parts that it like didn't work. And, you know, all of that. And here's me still. Here's who I am still. And I think that all of that is profound and it's profound in a way that makes me really have to think about my own approach because Mm. I have to think about how little acceptance I have for young Sarah, you know, me, the Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah without an age. Yeah. So I think that watching this journey of acceptance is something that a lot of artists could stand to read because I think that, as I said, there's so many you know, art professors, writing professors, people essentially your entire life are going to be comparing the things that you did and the things that you do against each other and be like, well, this is what I'd like to see or something like that. You know, you're always going to hear that stuff. You maybe shouldn't be the one who does it to yourself, though. And that was kind of part of what I was thinking whenever I was reading this was, yeah, we really get tricked into doing that to ourselves, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when I said messy, I meant like emotionally because yes, you're absolutely right. The art is fucking ridiculous. You're like, you're what? You drew this at what? Yeah. And (laughs) you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, leave some talent for the rest of us. Just kidding. Keep it it all for yourself, Sarah. We we love you. (laughs) It's like intimate. It's vulnerable. Like you said, it really makes an argument of what is the purpose of art? What is the purpose of being an artist? And what's not the purpose or what is just the experience of being, you know, not always being goal oriented. I think that's pretty fucking interesting. Like, I don't think I've read much that is like this. Maybe, maybe some Linda Berry, maybe some Eleanor Davis. A little bit, but we're seeing them in their top form pretty much all exactly, the time too. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, it's intimate like that though, right? Mm. Like it's definitely a very personal story, obviously, because it's yeah, the book yeah. of Sarah by Sarah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that you're right. It has those tints to it, right? It's kind of like those creators while mm-hmm. still just being this completely unique work. Oh, yeah. It's like its own thing for sure. Like, I don't even know what to compare it to. But yeah, I agree with you. If you're a creator of any kind, it is worth reading to think about what does it mean to hate your earlier work and where does that work against you? And also, like, I think if you're a person of faith who wants to think about stories about faith, I think it's really cool that way. I also think if you're alive, like it's just like a good story about meaning making. How do we choose who we become? How do we look back over our life and draw a narrative through that, right? Because life isn't a narrative. Life is a bunch of random fucking shit all the time. But we create narratives through it, okay? And those help us create meaning, narrative psychology would suggest. And I think that that's a really interesting way of crafting a work as an artist and saying like, this is the book of me. Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of almost, I don't want to say a love letter to oneself, but it's certainly a letter of acceptance to oneself. Mm. It's definitely her coming to grips with herself and saying, here's what my life has been. It's 
fine. You know, like it's great. There's great things. Yeah. Like I'm okay with it. Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely must read. Yeah. Anybody who is struggling with self-forgiveness, I think would do well with this. And I think that, you know, I'm an Aries, so I have a huge issue with (laughs) self-forgiveness because we want accountability from ourselves and we want to be the most perfect ones. So I think that reading this definitely challenged me a lot in a way that I'm going to have to think about even further going on. So I definitely recommend picking up The Book of Sarah by Sarah Lightman. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor, and you can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very... Very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world in which viruses are gods and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.